Remember Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads this and hears this and does this. There is a unique blessing that is extended to the people who hear this book and obey it. But to obey it, you got to be tracking with it. And tracking with as much as we just read is no small task. I am pretty sure that I suffer from ADD. And I'm sure most of you feel that way about yourselves as well. And probably about the time we hit halfway through chapter two, you were gone. All right, I'm with you. I know how that is. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through that whole passage, okay? Chapter 2 and chapter 3. Where we find ourselves tonight is making our way through a study in the book of Revelation. And the theme that we are pulling out of this is that God wins. God is victorious. God will not be defeated. He has already won. He is in the state of victory right now, and when all is said and done, he will reign victorious. Well, we finished chapter one last week, and today we find ourselves in chapter two, but it's important before we dive into this text that we understand what happened at the end of our study last week. Last week, we saw the glorious Christ revealed. John is on an island in Patmos, and uh, he's, he's there, and he enters into a vision. He's in the spirit, and he beholds a vision. In the vision, he sees Jesus Christ, and it is awesome and terrifying and glorious. Jesus Christ is revealed to John because Jesus is going to be the one speaking to John what is about to come. Jesus has a very specific message for John. And so what we just heard in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is Jesus himself speaking. That is the message that Jesus has. Now, who is Jesus talking to? John is writing down as Jesus is speaking, and Jesus has a very specific audience in mind. If you noted as we were going through this, each section began with saying that it was written to the angel of a specific church. So verse 1 says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, We're going to find many references in these chapters and beyond that are debatable as to what they refer to. And this first reference to an angel is one of them. The question is, who is the angel of the church in Ephesus? Who is the angel of the church in Smyrna? Who's the angel in the church of Pergamum? There's lots of different opinions about that. Perhaps each church has their own angel. Maybe that's a thing. If it is, this is the only passage that we hear about that in. But angel can also mean messenger. Angel is a term that literally refers to a divine messenger, but it can also refer to a human messenger. Because of that, many believe that maybe he's writing to the pastors. There's several reasons why that's probably not the case, but it's a possibility. Perhaps the the angel or the messenger is the one who is carrying the letter to the churches. That each church has someone that, that is carrying this letter. And so it's being written to that person. Perhaps it's being written to a specific individual that represents the church in some way. The reality is, at the end of the day, we don't know conclusively. And I don't know that it really matters. Here's what matters. When he's writing to the angel of a specific church, who he's writing to is the church. The angel may be carrying the message. He may be delivering the message. He may be representing the body. But the point is that the body is in mind. The the letter is being written to a church. That's what matters. Who are these churches? 
Well, there are seven churches that the book of Revelation is written to. Those seven churches are outlined in the passage that we just heard read. Chapters two and three are broken down into seven different messages for seven different churches. These churches, I believe that this is really important, are literal churches. Several have suggested that maybe these aren't real churches, but they're periods of time throughout history, or they represent the seven different types of churches. No, there is a church in Ephesus. So we need to understand when the readers saw this, when they see the church in Ephesus, you know where their mind goes? The church that is in Ephesus. I don't believe that's illustrative. Paul is writing to seven very literal churches. These truths that he's stating apply to the church that he's writing to. However, the truths that we see revealed here absolutely apply to every person. What we see to be true of Ephesus may very well be true of many of you. And so while these truths apply to the seven churches, they also apply to everyone else. So that's what we're going to title this tonight. Jesus' message for seven churches and everyone else. Because we're going to see truths for the seven churches that John writes what Jesus is saying. But you will find so much in here where you will say, you know, there's been times in my life where that's me. Or, or that church right now was, it was experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. And so these are Jesus's message for the seven churches, but in these messages, we, fly at, we find application for everyone. And so this is Jesus' message for the seven churches and everyone else. Now, who are these churches? Modern day Turkey is where these seven churches exist, okay? So like right in the middle of that water is where John is exiled in writing this letter. He's sending the letter to seven churches that are in modern-day Turkey right in this area that I'm pointing to. I'm going to zoom in on a picture, and this is so where I was just hovering. This is a zoomed-in shot of that. The seven churches are outlined in this graph. You have Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, which is called Pergamus here, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There's a very geographical line that's being outlined in these seven churches. And this letter was meant to pass from church to church, that there would be a messenger who was sent out or would go to the church before it and take the letter on to the next church. You can see the geographical order of what's taking place here. And so when the church was taken to Ephesus, they would have read the entirety of this book, including the letters to the other churches, and, and would have grown specifically from what Paul wanted them to know in this book. Not Paul, John. I think I'm going to do that through this entire study. These are the churches that John is writing to. These are the very specific and literal churches that Jesus has in mind. These letters uh, within them is, is really helpful information, but it's all going to revolve around the purpose of the book of Revelation. And I want us to remember this. The book of Revelation is meant to produce repentance and faithfulness in those who hear it. The book is written that those who hear it would repent and remain faithful if they have repented. We're going to see those two themes through every one of these letters. Either there's sin that needs to be repented of or there are churches that are obedient and they must remain faithful as they are tested. That is why the book of Revelation is written. 
to produce repentance and faithfulness in those who hear it. As we look at these seven letters, we're going to see a pattern through all of them. There's going to be basically a pattern that John writes, that Jesus delivers all of these letters through, and all the letters are going to kind of fit that grid. He's going to start every letter by identifying the church. Then he's going to identify Jesus as the person who's speaking to the church. But in each letter, he's going to identify Jesus in a different way. Most of the identifications are going to point back to chapter one. And there's going to be some feature of Jesus that he wants them to note because it specifically applies to the scenario that they're dealing with. So he's going to identify the church. He's going to identify Christ. Then he's going to commend the church. These are all C's. Okay. The, the, the church. Christ, and then commendation. He's going to commend the church. He's going to say something that they're doing well. Then he's going to deliver a condemnation, something that the church is doing wrong that they must repent of. So we have the church, and then Christ, and then commendation, and then condemnation. Then he's going to give the church a call. Because of everything he's just said, he's going to say, this is what you must do. Here is how you must respond. Then he's going to give them the consequence if they don't respond the way they're supposed to. And then he's going to give them, this is my last C, and it's a little desperate. He's going to give them a carrot. A carrot? (laughs) Hang with me, I'm desperate. You hear the illustration where like there's two ways you can motivate people, either with a stick or a carrot. A stick is one if they don't do it, you beat them over the head with a stick and you punish them. If you don't do this, I'm going to hit you with a stick. That's motivation, right? He's going to do that. There's also the carrot that you hang out in front of the rabbit and the rabbit chases it down. Like they want what you have to offer. You're not threatening them with punishment. You're offering them something good if they pursue what you're offering. If you overcome, if you obey, if you are victorious in this issue that I'm talking about, here's what will be given to you. Every time that he hangs that carrot in front of them, it's going to be offered to those who overcome. Every one of these letters is going to end with him saying, he who overcomes will be given this. That term overcome is actually a massive theme in the book of Revelation and even in all of John's writings. Overcome, it means victory. It means to win. It's where this title comes from. God will overcome. God will reign victorious. But also, we are called to overcome what we are facing in life. And so to the one who is facing disobedience, he is called to overcome, to be victorious over that. To the one who is facing and believing doctrinal error, he's called to overcome. And if you overcome, you will reign victorious. Look at chapter 2, verse 26. We're told a little bit about what it means to overcome there. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds. To overcome is essentially to be obedient. In John chapter 5 Verse 5, we're asked a question. Who is he who overcomes? John, the same one writing this, answers that question. You know who the overcomer is? It's he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. To overcome is to be a true believer. And what we'll see here is that if you are a true believer, you will obey. And if you obey and reveal that you are a true believer, you will be given incredible gifts in the kingdom of God. The purpose of this book is produce repentance and faithfulness. Last week, I want us to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. 
This was the launching point into this vision. John writes, Behold, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. We saw this last week that this is the launching point into the book of Revelation, that Jesus is coming back and everyone will be accountable to him. So with that in mind, let's jump in to the seven messages to the seven churches. Because Jesus is coming back, because of that launching point that we just talked about, because his return is imminent, because he's coming, there are seven urgent messages to seven churches. Because Jesus is coming back, he gives seven urgent messages to seven churches. Now, you know this already, but we need to move quickly. So let me just tell you, there's probably things you'll be curious about here that we're going to skip. You can ask me afterwards. I'll probably tell you I don't know. Number one, number one, those not marked by love must repent. Those not marked by love must repent. That is the first urgent message. And already we see the themes that we were talking about showing up in the purpose of the book of Revelation. It's written to produce repentance and faithfulness. And message number one is a message that that includes that. Those who are not marked by love must repent. This is the message that he has for the church of Ephesus. We're told in chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. That is the church. Let's look at Christ and how he is revealed. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. That is Christ. Christ is the one that we saw last week who holds the seven stars in his hands and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That statement is pointing to Christ as being in the middle and amongst the churches. He is the one who has authority and control over the churches. Jesus walks among the churches. He has the the seven stars. Those are the angels to the churches. He has them in his hand. He's walking among the churches. Jesus is intimately acquainted with the status of the church of Ephesus. And he wants Ephesus to know that. Ephesus, I'm writing to you and I know you. I know you. I walk among the lampstands. I hold the stars in my hand. Ephesus, here is the message for you. Look at verse two. I know your deeds. Stop there. (laughs) We're gonna see that statement in every letter. Every letter that he writes, he's gonna kick off the content of it by saying, I know your deeds. Which is, for many of these churches, a horrifying statement. He kicks off his content by saying, I know you, I know you intimately, and I know what you've done. Students, God knows your deeds. You may be able to fool your friends, your leaders, your pastors. You cannot fool God. What he is going to say to most of these churches will strike terror in their hearts because he knows their deeds. You may live hypocritically, but God is not fooled. He knows our deeds and he says that to the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds. Now, initially, 
His knowledge of their deeds is going to be positive. We're going to see his commendation to the church. He's going to encourage them. I know your deeds and your toil, your work, your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men and that you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. John writes Jesus' message and it's crystal clear. Church at Ephesus, you hate false teachers. Those who mess up the gospel, you get after them. You identify them as false. You expose them as false. You point them out. And that's a good thing. You must continue to do that, Ephesus. But just because Ephesus is a doctrinally sound church that that can expose false teachers doesn't make them righteous. So he commends the church at Ephesus, but he quickly moves on to a condemnation. Look at verse four. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Ephesus was no longer a church marked by love. They were concerned with being right. They were concerned with pointing out those who were wrong, but they were not concerned with loving their brothers and sisters and and those in the world. They were not marked by love. You've left the love that marked you at first. When Ephesus came to, to Christ, when they received the gospel, we see it in the book of Ephesians and in the book of Acts, they were a healthy church. They received the gospel and they, they loved They loved because of the gospel that that they believed. But this is 40 years later. It's a new generation. And the church at Ephesus is no longer marked by the love that they had at first. And so Jesus gives them a call. He has condemned them for their lack of love. And so he gives them the call in verse five. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds that you did at first. He says, here's what you need to do, Ephesus. Remember where you were. Go back to your roots. Remember from where you have fallen and repent. Turn. Turn away from your sinfulness. I know you're you're concerned with exposing false teachers, but you're not loving. You must repent because scripture tells us, Jesus tells us in John verse thir- chapter 13 that it's by your love that you will be known as a follower of Christ. By this we will know that all men are my disciples if we have love for one another. Ephesus had lost their love. Because of that Christ says you must repent. There is not evidence that you are mine because you are not marked by love. And then he he gives them the consequence if they do not turn. If they don't turn, here's what he says, verse five. Halfway down or else. If you don't do the deed you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Jesus says, if you don't repent to this, I'm coming and and I will, your church will cease. I will not allow you to continue as a church who claims to know the gospel but does not love. He says, I will take away your lampstand. If you remember in chapter one, the lampstands refer to the seven churches. When he says, I will take away your lampstand, I believe what Jesus is saying is I will cause your church to cease to exist. I will not let you continue in a state of unlovingness. If you're my disciple, you will be marked by my love. He then hangs 
a carrot in front of him. Second half of verse seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches, to him who overcomes. In other words, to him who repents. To him who returns to the deeds that he did at first. To him who does that, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, every time that Jesus makes a promise, if they obey, what it's going to point to is content in Revelation chapter 19 through 22. Revelation chapter 19 is where Jesus returns. Revelation 20 and 21 and 22, Jesus is establishing his authority on earth. He's setting up his reign on earth. He's reigning as king. And then we enter into the eternal estate where we will reign with him forever and ever and there will be no more sin. This is eternity in heaven. So what I want to do, because I want us to catch a glimpse of this right now, I want you to keep your finger in Revelation, but we're going to be turning back to Revelation 19 through 22 a few times here. He says, if you overcome, I will grant you to eat of the tree of life. Turn back to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, look at verses 1 through 3 of Revelation chapter 22. When Jesus promises the church of Ephesus that they will eat of the tree of life, he's promising them that they will be here. Revelation 22, 1 through 3. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life. There it is. Bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bond servants will serve him. To those who overcome... They'll eat of the tree of life. They will be in heaven. But if they do not repent, he will remove their lampstand. That's the first message. Students, there's so much we could ask here. This could be a sermon. This could be a series. Have you left your first love? Are you marked by love? This isn't an arbitrary point. Jesus looks at this church and he says, if you're not marked by love, I'm pulling away your lampstand. I won't let you continue. I won't let you claim to be my ambassador and not love. But if you love, if you genuinely love because of the gospel that is in you, you prove yourself to be my follower and you will be with me in paradise. That is his promise. That's an important message. The church at Ephesus needed to hear that. We need to hear that. But there's many other churches with many other issues that need to be dealt with. And so we quickly move to the second church, the second urgent message that that is revealed, and that is this. Those suffering must remain faithful. Those suffering must remain faithful. Revelation Chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, talk about this church. It's the church of Smyrna. Where it's identified in verse, number, in verse number 8 as the church at Smyrna. Jesus is identified as the last and the first, as the one who is dead but is not anymore. He was dead, but he is raised. Why is Jesus identified that way? Because the church at Smyrna is about to undergo suffering. Many of them may be killed. And so Jesus is revealed as the one who was killed. 
but is now alive. Look at what he has to say to the church in Smyrna. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, that's his condemnation. I know that you've persevered in tribulation and in difficulty. Now, normally, there's a condemnation that comes after the commendation. But here, there's no such statement. He does not critique the church at Smyrna. All he does is encourage them. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Look at what he says to them. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tempted and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. There we find his call. They are about to undergo tribulation. They're going to be persecuted. They are dwelling in an area where what's referenced is that they're in the synagogue of Satan, that there's people around them that he calls the synagogue of Satan. That's a reference to those who claim to be Jews, but, but are not actually true Jews. They may be descendants of Abraham, but they don't live in obedience to Christ. They don't identify Christ as the Messiah. And in Smyrna, these people attacked the church. They would blaspheme the church, we're told. That is, that they would make false claims about the church, that they would accuse them of things that the church wasn't doing, and that they would soon cast the church into prison that they would suffer, seemingly that some of them would die. You know what Jesus says to them? Here's his call. Don't be afraid. You're gonna suffer. It's going to be painful. But don't be afraid. His call, look at the last line of verse 10. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Keep your finger here. Turn back to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, I want you to see this. When he references the second death, again, this is, this is at the end of all things. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Then death, this is the... The judgment, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. When Jesus establishes his reign on earth at the end of the thousand years, all will be cast into the lake of fire, and that is the second death. Jesus says to the church of Smyrna, though you will suffer if you will remain faithful, the second death will not hurt you. In other words, you will be with me forever in paradise. You will not be cast into hell. You will reign with me forever. Back to Revelation chapter 20. Those not marked by love must repent. Those suffering must remain faithful. Number three, those believing errant teaching must repent. Those believing errant teaching must repent. Chapter two, verses 12 through 17. The next church is identified to the church at Pergamum. Jesus is identified as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Oh, that's fascinating. Jesus, to the church of Pergamum, is noted to be the one with a sword coming out of his mouth. You know why? Because Pergamum's in trouble. Pergamum is disobedient to Christ. And if they don't repent, 
He says, I will wipe you out with this sword. The church of Pergamum is believing errant teaching and they must repent. Look at the the commendation in verse 13. Pergamum, I know where you dwell. You dwell where Satan's throne is and you hold fast my name. You're in a difficult scenario, but you're still holding fast to the name of Jesus. You did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So apparently in Pergamum, there was this man named Antipas and he was killed for his allegiance to Jesus. Even in the midst of someone dying for allegiance to Jesus, Pergamum still remained faithful to Christ. But Pergamum was not a perfect church. Far from it. No, Pergamum had believed errant teaching. Look at verse 14. But I have a few things against you because there are some who hold the teaching of Balaam who kept the teaching of Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. The church at Pergamum was following a teacher who was leading them to do two things. Number one was to eat food sacrificed to idols. Number two was commit acts of sexual immorality. We don't have time to get into the details of those issues. But this teacher was a false teacher, and Pergamum was believing him. They were believing errant teaching, and so Jesus says, repent, turn, stop listening to this man who denies the gospel. His fruit in his life reveals the fact that he's not even a Christian, and yet you follow his teaching. So repent, turn, or else. Here, here is what, here, here's what the consequences are if they don't turn, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against those who believe him, who follow him. I will make war with them with the sword of my mouth. Verse 17, but to him who overcomes, to him who repents, I will give... <laughs> some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. Okay, this is where it starts getting messy. The reward for those who overcome is they get the hidden manna and a white stone. I think I know what this means but we're already short on time. So if you're taking notes, what I want you to write down is Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, and verse 12. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, and verse 12. I believe that the gift that is given to this church, if they overcome, is that they will be invited to what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 19. That is the heavenly meal, the hidden manna. It was common in their culture when someone was invited to a meal to give them a stone or a token that was essentially an entry ticket. I think that's what's being referenced here. That if you overcome, I will invite you to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is a feast that takes place when Christ establishes his reign on the earth. And all those who are bought by the blood of Christ, all those who follow Christ, are invited to that supper. That's what he's saying here. You're believing errant teaching, so repent. If you don't, I will make war with you with my sword. But if you do... I will invite you to the marriage supper of the Lamb where you will initiate my reign with me. Number four, those who follow sinful leaders must repent. 
This is very similar to the church of Pergamum. The church at Thyatira learns this lesson. Those who follow sinful leaders must repent. Church at Thyatira. Verse 18. Jesus is revealed with the one who has eyes that are like fire and feet that are like burnished bronze, flaming bronze, scolding bronze. The image is terrifying. It's an image of the wrath of Christ. He commends them in verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and your deeds of late are greater than at first. They're growing. But this I have against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Jezebel was a woman who was leading people in the church in some way. We're not given details on this, but she was leading them to sin. She was leading them towards sinning with her. She was leading them to sin against the Jews. And Jesus says, you need to know. I've given Jezebel time to repent. I'm going to wipe her out. I'm taking her out. Don't follow that woman who calls herself a prophetess, but who preaches a gospel that does not save. Her deeds reveal that she is not a follower of Christ. Don't follow her. The call is in verse 22. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Here it is, unless... They repent. You're picking up on the pattern of repentance. The call is that they would turn from following this woman, that they would not follow sinful leaders. They must repent of that. He actually doesn't give them any punishment for this. All he does is he hangs a carrot out in front of them. To him who overcomes, verse 26. And he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. If you're taking notes, write down, this is what's referenced in Revelation 19 through 22. Revelation 19 verse 15, Revelation 20 verse 4, and Revelation 22 verse 16. Okay, 19, 15, 24, and 22, 16 are all referenced in those promises. It's summarized this way. If you overcome, if you repent, you're going to dwell with me forever in paradise. Number five, those abandoning the gospel must believe and repent. Those abandoning the gospel must believe and repent. Revelation chapter three, verses one through six. This is the church at Sardis. The church at Sardis to the angel of the church at Sardis. Jesus is revealed as the one who has the seven spirits of God. That is the Holy Spirit and the seven stars, the seven angels, the seven messengers. He says, tell them this. I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. There is no commendation No positive thing said about the church in Sardis. He says, I know some people think you're alive, but you're dead. You are dead. They have no spiritual life. They have abandoned the gospel of Christ. So what does he call them to do? Verse two, wake up. 
Wake up, church at Sardis. Strengthen the things that remain. Apparently, there's some things that they were still doing well, even though they were spiritually dead. It says strengthen the things that were that, that remain. Maybe they're still attending church. Maybe they're still preaching. He says strengthen those things which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed. Here's his call to them. Remember what you have received and heard. Remember the gospel that was preached to you and keep it. Believe it. Remember the gospel. Believe the gospel. Receive the gospel and repent. There it is again. Turn from your ways. If you don't, verse three, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I come to you. Verse five, but if you overcome, you will be clothed in white garments and I will not erase your name from the book of life and I will confess your name before my father and before his angels. That references Revelation 19 verse 8 and Revelation 20 verse 15. Let me summarize it for you. If you overcome, if you believe the gospel and repent, you will dwell with me forever in paradise. The message to the church of Philadelphia, those in a sinful environment must remain faithful. Like the second church, Philadelphia is a very healthy church, but they live in a very sinful environment and they will most certainly be drawn towards sin. He says to them, those in a sinful environment must remain faithful. It's to the church of Philadelphia. It's from him who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Jesus is the one who has the authority to open doors that no one else can open and shut doors that no one else can shut. And the doors that he opens, Philadelphia can walk through. He says, I know your deeds. Behold, I've put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Philadelphia has been faithful to Jesus Christ. And so he says, you need to know I have the keys and I have opened a door for you. You see, like a, like a door into heaven. I have opened this door and nobody can shut it on you because I alone have the keys. You have remained faithful to me, but I know, look at verse nine, that you live among those who are in the synagogue of Satan. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word, I will protect you from the testing that is to come. The church of Philadelphia has remained faithful to Christ. His call to them then, what he encourages them to do is not to repent. Not to repent, but rather look at verse 11. I am coming quickly. Hold fast. Church at Philadelphia, hold on. Are you living faithfully? Jesus says, continue, hold on tight. I'm coming back, I'm coming quickly. Every man will see me coming in the clouds. Hold on because I'm coming. The church in a sinful circumstance must remain faithful. He dangles a carrot in front of them in verses 12 and 13. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God 
and my new name. So if they overcome, they become a pillar in a temple and a whole bunch of names get written on them. I don't know if we have tattoos in heaven or what that means, but if you want to see the picture of it, write down Revelation chapter 20, verse 22. That tells us about the temple. And the names that are written on us is Revelation 22, verse 4. Lastly and quickly, those who are spiritually apathetic must humble themselves and repent. Those who are spiritually apathetic must humble themselves and repent. Church of Laodicea, look at verse 14. Church of Laodicea, the amen, that is Jesus, so be it, the, the, the one who is certain, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and are neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. His condemnation to this church is that they are spiritually apathetic. They're not hot, they're not cold, they're just lukewarm, they're just bad. They don't hold to anything, they're apathetic in their spirituality. He says, I, w- I wish you'd hold to something, but you just don't care. You think you're rich, you think you're wealthy, you think you don't have a need of anything, but you don't know, verse 17, that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So he says, come to me. Purchase what I have to offer. I advise you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Church of Laodicea, you have it good and you think it's a blessing from God. What you don't know is that I, I discipline the ones I love. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So church, be zealous and repent. Be passionate. Have zeal. Stop your apathy. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ. This has been one of the greatest concerns of mine in this ministry. That you would become like the church of Laodicea that you would become apathetic in your walk with Christ. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He extends an invitation, return, repent. I want you to repent. I want to be with you. And if you overcome, I will grant to him, verse 21, to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He says, if you overcome, if you overcome your spiritual apathy, if you repent, here's what I will give you. You will sit down with me on my throne. That is Revelation chapter 20, verse four, where we sit on the throne in the kingdom and reign with Christ. Let me give you two closing comments. Number one, what I want you to understand based on chapters two and three is that the book of Revelation is not just for the spiritually mature. The book of Revelation is for every church that was just described. 
It's for healthy Christians, struggling Christians, and unbelievers, okay? Let me connect those dots and explain how that works for you. Here it is. Awareness of Jesus' return and the events that surround it, that's what, the Revela- that's what Revelation is. Awareness of Jesus' return and the events that surround it are meant to motivate repentance and faithfulness. So if you're a healthy Christian, you need that. If you're a struggling Christian, you need that. If you're an unbeliever, you need an awareness of the return of Christ and the events that surround it because that will motivate you to repentance. These seven churches desperately needed this message. These are the messages for the seven churches and for every one of us. Repent, be faithful, and if you overcome, you will dwell with Christ forever in paradise.